When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com, here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis, and I really appreciate you joining us uh, for this particular podcast. Uh, today, I have a very special guest, um, Stacy Brown Randall, and um, she has one focus in life, Stacy does, and that's to help business owners or salespeople and or salespeople avoid business failure. And I thought that the timing was perfect for us given that we've just started 2017 and I know that all of us are very interested in kind of hitting that reset button and moving forward and trying to implement some new ideas and, and the best way to do that is to get started off on the right track rather than the, than the wrong track and I think that you would agree um, with that. So let me just tell you a little bit about Stacey. She's a three-time entrepreneur. She's certified in productivity and time efficiency coach and boy does that just hit home with me and has a background in sales and marketing. So this isn't something that um, she you know, just decided to start a company and help people in being better at sales, but uh, she's actually living and breathing this. She's also an adjunct professor and is an aspiring author, which, uh, Stacy, I can't wait to talk to you about that because I just <laughs> signed the agreement to write my book um, a few weeks ago, so I'm in that same boat. So welcome, Stacy. We're happy to have you today. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and your audience, and congratulations on your signing of the book deal. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. It's so exciting. It's, it's all very uh, nerve-wracking, too, because you're doing all the right stuff. So, um, you know, just hope that you are. So, listen, let's, let's kind of dive right in. And, um, you know, as we were talking just a few minutes before we started recording the podcast, I want to kind of set this up um, for everyone who's listening. And that is this whole adage about asking for referrals. Uh, we hear it all the time, you know, that if you don't ask for referrals, you're not going to get them. And uh, most people in my industry, in the mortgage lending industry, um, and real estate, because it's a little of both, and I have some real estate agents who listen in as well, um, but most people feel that asking is an, a violation or an intruding, you're intruding on the person and um, on the um, person that, you, you know, the client that you're asking for. Um, and that's one of the reasons that they have reluctance in doing that. But the other is that um, it's a timing issue. You know, we hear... We should ask the first meeting. We should ask throughout the process. We should ask at the end when you've proven yourself. So help enlighten us on what your thoughts are around asking for referrals. Sure. So this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So when, when, I, when someone approaches me and we have a conversation regarding referrals, I hear the same hang-ups that you just talked about as to why they don't want to ask. They don't want to ask because it feels pushy or inauthentic, or like to your point, like they're violating like the relationship that they're building with somebody. Um, and the other reason is, is that they, they don't know when to ask and what is the best time to ask. And I always tell folks, 
I know and I recognize, Jen, that I'm a complete contrarian to the advice that most people hear. And most people hear for the last 30 or more years, if you want referrals, you have to ask. And then the other piece of that is, and if you're unwilling to ask, then you have some issues that you have to overcome. You've got some head trash or a mindset that you need to overcome. And when I started running my business, I really noticed that I am uniquely positioned to get referrals, and so I should be able to take advantage of that and started researching, like, okay, how do you get referrals? And it was all the advice I was hearing is asking, asking, asking. And I was like, you know what? I am perfectly capable of being a wonderful business coach. And in my first business, I was an HR consultant. Um, it's two of the businesses that I've had, but that business coach now. And I was like, it doesn't feel right to ask. So there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different way. And I spent some time understanding, like, the research behind referrals and asking and the brain science of, like, how we're wired internally to really understand how this works about getting referrals. And I compared my very first business with zero referrals and then doing things very different in my current practice and business coaching and teaching people how to take control of their referrals and their business. And I noticed that I would, you know, the ability to generate referrals actually has nothing to do with asking. And the reality of it is, is we're told we have to ask to get referrals. 90% of us, this is my statistic, it is not proven, but I believe like 90% of the world is like, well, then I just don't want referrals because I don't want to have to ask for the reasons mentioned earlier about violating the relationship and not knowing when to ask for the right time or feeling like we're, you know, being off-putting to someone. And so I just determined, I was like, you know what? There has got to be a way to receive referrals. There's got to be a formula, right? There's got to be a formula or a way to receive referrals that I can follow that will, be, that will honor who I am and will allow me to generate referrals without asking. And that's really what I set out to do. And in my first year as a business coach, I generated over 100 referrals in each of those without asking for them. And when I unpacked what I had done, I realized I did kind of follow a formula and kind of a system. And now, of course, now that's what I teach folks to do. It's figure out those pieces of asking for referrals, of getting referrals without having to ask, excuse me. And it's really not as hard as people think. But I think the first thing you have to acknowledge is, is that, yes, you can get referrals, and you can get them without asking for them. And once you can acknowledge that, then you can kind of understand, okay, so what are the pieces that go into really generating referrals without having to ask? But I have found when I talk to a lot of people, because that's all they've heard, you know, for the last 30 or more years about generating referrals, sometimes I have to help them see that that's actually, that is a piece of advice. It's not the only type of advice you can take when it comes to generating referrals. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, you know, going back to what you were talking about before, um, about, you know, that it has nothing to do with asking for referrals, and someone says, well, if I have to ask, then I'm just not going to ask. I think in, in my industry, and maybe you can shed some light on this, you know, whether you see us with everyone else, is um, it, what ends up happening is that since I'm afraid to ask, I don't know when to, I feel I don't want to, don't want to be pushy, that the tendency is then to, particularly in this, this uh, era, is to hide behind the confidence of, I call it keyboard confidence, hide behind the um, confidence of the keyboard by posting social media, uh, using LinkedIn, using, you know, all of them. I don't have to say them all. Everybody knows who they are. But using all of them as a means to um, get more business rather than going deeper, uh, I'll just go wider and I'll just keep asking for, or I'm not asking for business, but obtaining business through um, social media efforts behind the scenes because then I'm not going to be pushy or, um, 
perhaps even buying leads. I hear a lot of loan officers still buying leads. Um, and I, I just am amazed by it because it, to me it's going wider and not deeper and having stronger relationships. So could you maybe talk about that and, and let us know if that's something that you see a trend to because of this fear of asking? Oh, absolutely. I think because people don't know how to generate referrals, and to your point, they feel like to receive them they have to ask. They've just kind of shelved the idea of receiving referrals in their business. And to your point, they then focus on other ways, right, other sales and marketing type tactics to generate business. And there's nothing wrong with those other tactics. There's nothing wrong with being on social media. And I mean, you, I, I kind of picked it up when you said it, like, it's not the best way to get a lead is to buy it. But it's certainly a way <laughs> to get a lead is to buy it. And, you know, and it could be advertising and it could be sponsorship of events. And, you know, there's all these different ways that you can generate new clients because, we all need new clients coming in every month for the majority and definitely for your industry, for loan officers. You know, they don't need to close one loan in January and the whole year is set. They need to be closing loans and probably have a number, a metric they have to hit every month in terms of closing loans. And I've worked with a number of loan officers, so I definitely understand kind of the, the mentality that they work under. And so there is also a mentality of, well, I have to have all these other ways to bring in clients, buying leads, advertising, sponsorship, networking like crazy, or using social media and stalking people on LinkedIn and Facebook. I have to use all these other ways because I don't have another way to bring in business, and I have to bring in such a volume because not everybody ends up needing a loan that I talk to because I have to bring in such a volume that they've just made a decision that referrals isn't the right fit for them. And I would argue the exact opposite of that. Now, I tell folks, I specifically choose to work with people who are in very crowded marketplaces. So I work with a lot of residential realtors, a lot of commercial brokers, a lot of bankers, financial advisors. Like when you think about people where there is hundreds or thousands of you in any given city or town, like that's the marketplace I choose to work in for a couple of reasons. But one reason being because it's so much easier to make yourself stand out. And you can do that without social media and advertising and billboards and things like that. I choose to work in really saturated, dime a dozen, there's a lot of me type of markets because I think that those are the ones that can easily rise to the top. And so when I'm talking to loan officers and they're thinking about all these different things they have to do to bring in business, I always give them this first piece of advice. And the first piece of advice I always give them is the reality is you have numbers to hit next month. You have numbers to hit this month. You need a prospecting plan. You need a plan that will allow you to have some activity that will generate some people in the door so that you can close loans on the short term. There's nothing wrong with having a prospecting plan. But you also need a referral generating plan for two reasons. One, you need to start it now so that it can actually produce results for you because referrals are not necessarily a short-term hit. I have had clients have them be, but that's not necessarily what's guaranteed. And so they're not a short-term gain. And so if you need short-term gain, then you probably need a prospecting plan. But you need to also parallel, same time, be developing a referral generating plan for two reasons. One, because you need to get it going so that it can produce something for you. And two, it will reduce your reliance on a prospecting plan in the future. Now, you know, I'm four years into my coaching practice. All of my new clients are generated through referrals. And it didn't start that way. First, I started like below 50%, then I got to 60, and then I got to 80, and then, you know, I kind of got to that 9,500 mark where it kind of fluctuates. And I don't spend any time on my prospecting plan. In fact, I have no budget set aside for my prospecting plan outside of a few strategic networking groups I'm a part of. One, because I like the groups more so than the fact that I get business from them, but 
they're more strategic for me because my ideal client is there. Outside of that, and some speaking engagements that I do, all my new clients come through knowing me and being referred to me, like knowing me through a referral. And so did I have a prospecting plan four years ago? Of course I did. I needed clients immediately. But now, because I built that plan up year over year, it makes my life so much easier. And working off that referral plan today saves me time and it saves me so much money. And I think that that is what people miss about thinking, yeah, if you do a referral generating plan today, maybe you'll get results next month or two months from now, but you'll definitely have results over a series of months and you just have to be willing to stick with it. And let's be honest, Jen, for us to stick with anything, if we don't automate it or systematize it in our business, we just won't do it. Yeah, so that's a very interesting perspective, you know, and I, I think for those that are listening is, you know, if you're a jack of all trades right now, so to speak, I'm, I'm just going to use that as a, as a means for, you know, if your pie is, is broken out into several pieces because you're trying to do everything, uh, that's not bad if you're prospecting, but once you have them in, you have to have a system to keep them with you so that allows you to go deeper. So we're talking about the need and the necessity to go wider to get the prospects, but then once you have them, also going lower. So you can work both a, um, a vertical and a horizontal um, perspective of, yes. of working Absolutely. And to I, go forward. Right. right, and I would say that's why I teach folks, and I always tell folks, I teach folks how to generate referrals, but it starts with first with you having a sticky client experience. And you're exactly, like I loved um, your analogy, kind of, like, kind of descriptive of going deeper with our clients. And that comes from having that client experience that makes them want to refer you, makes them want to talk about you, but just positions you also in the marketplace as someone that people want to do business with. I mean, I think having a sticky client experience is great for repeat clients. It's great for brand management and word of mouth buzz. And if you can't, if without a sticky client experience, you certainly can't get referrals. So I, I, I would say if you want referrals, you've got to make sure you have the ability to have a great client experience with your clients that doesn't require you to have to run every piece of that client experience because you'll never survive, you'll burn out, but that you have systems in place so that you can run this great client experience at the same time allowing you then to generate more referrals down the road. And clients aren't the only place to get referrals from, but it's certainly, for most people, it's the easiest place to be able to receive them. Or in sometimes it's centers of influence. But back to your point about being able to go deep, you're right, you have to go deep with that client experience um, but if you have to do every piece of that client experience, you, I mean, it's almost too much work. And so I always tell folks having a team is a great step for a client experience if you can afford it. And if not, then you definitely have to have systems in place to allow you to execute on the same client experience for every person. Right. And, you know, and that's what you and I were talking about right before we started recording as well is, you know, that um, the our industry, we have these peaks and valleys. They're not rolling hills. They're peaks and valleys. So we work really hard at getting business in, and then we babysit it and create the customer experience that gives us referrals, you know, small amounts of them because we're working with small amounts of loans sometimes. And then when we're babysitting the loan and doing all of the things to create this client experience, uh, we're not out there generating more business, and as a result, the business goes back down again. And and um, so I think what what is missing here is what is in that system that creates a client experience that compels them to refer people because if you're doing one or two loans a month, if you know someone's listening to one or two or four or five loans a month, and then they're babysitting the entire deal, you know, and they don't have an assistant, they don't have a team, they may have a system, may not, um, but at least they're handling the client and the client's happy 
why isn't the client referring? I mean, what's missing in that link, aside from the fact that later on when they do more business, they'll need a team to do some of these activities. But what's missing in that link? So I would say specific to that client experience, if, let, let's take the loan officer who has no team, like you just said, and is doing it on their own, and they need to have a great client experience, but they can't get so mired in doing all the work. So to your point, then that's when the peaks and valleys hit, and they won't be able to, to generate new business. And I really believe you have to be able to touch business development every day. It's definitely one of the hardest lessons I learned when my first business actually failed after a couple of years was that I wasn't doing that. So I'm a big believer in we've got to figure out how to touch business development every day. It doesn't have to look like a sales call every day, but we have to touch it every day. It's the same thing with our client experience. When you look at your client experience, now I say the word experience. The first thing I want your listeners to hear me say, your audience to hear me say is when I say experience, I want you to hear repeatable process. It will feel mm-hmm. like an experience to your clients. Yes. But you will make that experience happen through a repeatable process. And when you can execute on that process, you can make it more efficient, make it more streamlined, and it can take less time. So there's two, I call it the client experience formula. There are two pieces to this formula. There is the work that you do with these clients, right? So there's the, the work touch points so to speak. It's, you know, receiving in their documents and getting in their W-2s and being able to go through their their information and making sure that, you know, you're being able to get them their pre-approval letter. Like there are the things that you do that what I would call the work touch point, right? So there's getting the package, right, to the attorney for the closing. Like there's, those are the work touch points that you do. But there's a second piece, and there is what I refer to as the relationship building touch points. And those are the ones where we infuse a connection with our clients on a deeper level so that we actually form a relationship with them. Because referrals only come from relationships, and relationships are only built by connections. And connections have to happen. Like, you actually have to make a connection happen. You can't just, you know, pretend in your mind that it happened. You actually have to do something to make a connection happen. These aren't complicated things. And so when I tell folks, think about it this way. Think about your work touch point and your relationship building touch point using kind of this descriptor, this analogy. So when, when people get engaged, right, usually there is a symbol of a ring, the engagement ring that is given from one person to the other person, right, of our engagement, right? And most of us, and I'll take this from a female perspective because I am one, <laughs> most of us want a pretty ring. Like it doesn't have to be huge, it doesn't have to be anything, but it just, it's, we want a ring, right? Like that is when... Someone proposes, not all of us are like this, right? But when someone proposes, it's the ring is the symbol of the engagement of the ask, of the proposal, right? So it's the ring is the work. The Tiffany blue box that the ring came in or how you proposed, the packaging, that's the relationship touch point. And any client experience needs both, just like any proposal needs both, the ring and the packaging, the work and the relationship building. Any client experience needs both touch points. And what folks forget is that we can look at touch points, bringing in a new client, we can look at touch points in different stages, like the new client experience versus the ongoing client experience versus what happens when their loan closes and they're now an alumni client, right, or a previous client or a past client. And then we can actually run our clients through these processes, which creates this amazing experience for them just by dialing in to how do we build a relationship with them right, versus how we make sure we're getting the work done and making sure we're streamlining any process that we can possibly streamline and making things as efficient as possible. So an example would be, you know, the work touch points could be gathering their documents, 
so that you can get it to underwriting, right, to make sure that they can be approved for whatever loan it is they want. A relationship touch point could be the fact that you call them on their birthday or that when they move into the house, right, you send them a gift or that you remember on the anniversary of their closing date to send them a happy anniversary to your new home cart. Like there's lots of different things here that could happen that are the relationship touch points. It could also just be a phone call during the process of, hey, your loan's in process. I don't have anything to update right now. I know we're working towards closing and you're in your due diligence or wherever they are in the process of, you know, needing that loan and buying that home. And you say, but I want to check in and see if you need anything. Like, that's also relationship touch points. And so I tell folks, this is not supposed to be expensive. You are not supposed to spend a lot of money. In fact, if you are spending a lot of money, you may be doing it wrong. But it's infusing the relationship piece along with those work pieces to create a, a, a 360, right, complete picture of a client experience. And then being able to systematize that so it just happens. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's exactly uh, what I do. That's, that's uh, interesting that you're out there, you know, doing it. And I think a lot, there's a lot of loan officers, um, you know, that do it. And there's some that aren't. And, you know, and I think it's just good um, perspective, you know, for just your terminology, you know, and your stories. They, uh, you know, hopefully will shed some light for some people that maybe it didn't resonate the way I explained it. So I thank you for doing that. I think it's great. Um, so I wonder, um, during the process, so if we talk about, um, new clients in the process of um, the ongoing process and not so much you know our past clients but during the process um, what are you finding in your experience in working with loan officers and realtors and anybody really just what are you finding as, is uh, when someone has implemented this system for a great client experience on what t types of um, or how many referrals they're getting. What's been the response to that during the process as opposed to us looking at, you know, our more long-term referral generating plan versus the prospecting plan? So do you understand my question? What I'm saying is yes. you know, how, how often are we getting referrals now versus uh, the long-term, which will be built over time by calling them on anniversaries and whatnot, but how many can we get while it's happening? So that's an, that's an excellent question, and I always tell folks to think about this in stages or steps, so to speak, right? So when somebody first meets you and they decide to do business with you, right, they are on an endorphin high, and you've got to make sure that you do a small wow in the beginning so that they don't have any buyer's remorse. You did pick the right loan officer, right? You did pick the right realtor. You did pick the right business coach, whatever it is. Right, and so you have an ability to generate referrals early in that process. You have to know how to plant seeds because we're never going to come out and ask for it, and we're not going to put in our signature the greatest compliment you can give me is your referrals. I know that people do it, and it was really kind of interesting like five years ago when people started doing it, but no one's doing it anymore. <laughs> or people are doing it anymore, no one's paying attention to it. So like, you really have to, like, nothing about referrals is a gimmick. And when it comes across as a gimmick or it feels like a gimmick, people just ignore it. So what I tell folks is, is when someone first decides to work with you, there is that opportunity, and it depends on how long a client is with you. It could be days. It could be a month. It could be a little bit longer. That depends on the industry you're in. Um, loan officers, just like realtors, it's like sooner, right? It happens in the beginning. And then you go through a period where maybe not everything is going to go according to plan, right? Maybe we are not going to get the loan that we wanted. Or maybe we're working with a realtor and we love her or him in the beginning and then we lose three houses in a competitive bid, multiple bid, you know, opportunity. And we just start not loving our realtor, 
or not loving our loan officer or, you know, we're not hearing, get, we're not getting communication back when we ask questions. And so then people go through this period of, hmm, did I make the right choice? Well, I'm not changing because I'm too far into the process yeah. and it's too hard to change at this point. Mm-hmm. And so they may not change, but they're not going to refer you. So they almost kind of go into what I refer to as a holding pattern if things aren't going according to plan. Now, almost all of this can be mitigated by how you set the foundation of that client experience with setting expectations up front. And there's a lot of things I teach people about how to do that up front. But so you have the ability to generate referrals early on when they decided to work with you and they're loving you and things are awesome and there's like, you know, this connection and best loan officer ever, right? Like there's that time. You may not see as many through the process. The next place that you have the ability to capture more actual referrals is after the work's been done. And that depends on how well you did the work. If things went wrong, because they will, how well did you handle and solve their problems? You didn't place blame. Mm -hmm. You just took ownership of it and you solved their problems. Because if you solve my problems, I'll still love you, even though we had problems, right? And the other thing is, is then how well do you stay in touch with me once this deal is done? So early in the process, you have the ability to generate some referrals if you know how to plant the correct seeds without asking. And then after the work is done and they're like, yes, we got our new house, we're so happy, and you maintain a relationship because now they're an alumni. That's why I refer to my clients when I'm no longer working with them. They're alumni clients or a past client, whatever you want to call them. There's a process at that point at which you then stay in touch. And there, you can also infuse some things throughout the process as well. And you can also get, you know, try to go for a bigger hit um, towards the end of the process with some, I refer to them as wow. I think you should do a wow experience in the beginning, small wow experience in the end, small. And I can give you some examples. But um, that really is the, 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 the main point there. It's, it's the early on it, early in the beginning of the process, early within the process, right as you're coming to a close or coming to a close, and then indefinitely moving forward because you stay in touch. Now, I want to give us some examples of that. Um, we, um, I call this the love of <laughs> you know? uh, Because what ends up happening is, you know, just exactly like you're saying, they, they love you, everything's great, the love meter is really high, and then all of a sudden the love meter starts wavering, you know, because you, uh, you know, didn't make the phone call back to them and keep them informed that they had to call you instead of you having to call them, giving them the status. Um, we also refer it as to, you know, a trust deposit. Every communication that you have with your client, whether it's email or phone calls, you know, however you're communicating, you're either depositing or withdrawing from that trust account. And, um, you know, if that trust account goes negative, you're not getting anything, you know. So um, I love your explanation of it, so thank you. So, yeah, I, what, what kinds of ideas do you have on, on how to wow them on one idea, just one idea on the front and on the back that you think works really well? Absolutely. Um, and I'd love to also then talk, give that one idea and then also mention what you just were talking about, like the trust meter dropping, right, or the love the loveness is starting to fall off and starting to wane. I tell folks you can negate almost all of those situations by how you set expectations of what it looks like to work with you. And I teach my clients either in my online course or if they're coaching with me um, um, one-on-one, I tell all my clients that you have to set what I refer to as kind of like this working with me journey map. It's this client experience journey map. And it, it shows you in writing, usually in some type of graphical sense, 
Um, I have clients who have done some really cool things. But it shows you what it looks like to do work with me. And it says, hey, this is how I communicate. And once the loan's in process, you only hear from me every two weeks unless I need some additional information. So if you're not going to call someone back right away, they'll know because you told them up front and you gave them something in writing that says, hey, you'll hear from me every two weeks. Call me if you have a question, but please know that it may take me a day or two to get back to you because this is just follow the system I follow. And so if you think about it like, you know, candy cane, right, or think about it like Monopoly, it's just like this, this drawing of, like, here's the start, here's the finish, and here's the steps we're going to go through doing this business together. And what will slow down this process is you not getting me the documents that I need on time, et cetera, as we kind of work through this process. And so when you look at that idea, um, if you set what I call, like, that kind of client expectation map, like, what does it look like to do business with me from start to finish, um, you can mitigate most of those things from happening. And when a client starts having unreasonable expectations, you can pull back out that map and gently remind them of where you are in the process and why things have happened as long as you're sticking true to it, right, and doing your end of the bargain and what your end of what you're supposed to do is. So I would say that I'm a big believer in drawing those out. I have some clients who literally hand draw them for their clients because they're simple. They can say, here's the four points of what we're going to do, and, right? And then I have other clients who it's much more in-depth, and they actually have like a – a, a, like a, you know, a drawn P, it's a graphical P, it's that they, it looks like, you know, the yellow brick road or something, and they walk their clients through it, and so they understand what it looks like to work with them. So that's one thing I would say. An idea, your actual question, was um, just one little wow idea that you could, yeah, just one little wow idea you can do early on in the process. I call mine the journey card. Now, here's the thing. All of my um, relationship building touch points are built into my process because I know exactly what my clients are thinking when they make the decision to hire me as their, as their business coach. And so when they make the decision to hire me as their business coach, I kind of know what they're thinking. Now, this would be what you would experience with me, the wow you would experience with me if we were doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you join my online program and you just wanted to go through my online program, called growthbyreferrals.com, but if you wanted to get to my online program, there's a different wow that happens early on in that process. But for my one-on-one -on -one clients, I know what it looks like to hire me as a business coach. I know the sense they have to think about of can I help them solve their problems and is it going to be worth the money, right, that of course they're going to pay me to do that. I know there can be a, a, a sense of buyer's remorse. I also know that working with me means I'm going to know all your stuff. I'm going to know what's working in your business, the great decisions you've made, the not the great decisions you've made. I know when you haven't been doing what you say you're going to be doing. I even know the personal stuff in my clients' lives, whose marriage is working, who's having problems with their child, who's dealing you know, with a sick family member. I know all these issues. So my wow is very specific to my clients, and it's what I refer to as the journey card. And it's just a handwritten note, and I do not outsource this. I'm a big believer, and you must write this note yourself. It takes me like two minutes to do. You don't have to mail it and get it to an assistant to mail, but you have to write it. And basically my journey card just says, hey, I'm so excited to work together. I know going on this journey of coaching with me is going to stretch you and challenge you, but that's okay because I'm happy to be your co-pilot. You're not on this journey alone. I can't wait to see what great success we make happen. Something like that, right? It's kind of different for every person, but that's kind of the gist of the note. And I just mail it, and my goal is for them to get it just before their first session or just after their first session depending on when they start and when they have committed to working with me. And it's just, and to be honest, I stumbled on this wow, this wow experience. I literally sent it to somebody on a whim just because we had such a great connection in our meeting and she hired me on the spot and I just sent her this note and saying, hey, I know this is going to get messy, but you're in great hands and don't worry. And when I walked into her office for her, our first session, she had that card up on her bulletin board. 
And I was like, oh, my gosh, that made, it, that made an impact on her. And now all my clients come to me, and I, obviously I do a lot of phone-based coaching because I work with folks all over the country. But, um, so now it's mailed. But even the clients that still come into my office, when they open up their folder, I'll always see that journey card is in it. It's just one of those pieces that's in it, right? And there's lots of things you can do. Yeah, yeah, it's a really small, small thing that has a big impact. You know, it's the small things, not the big elephants. The mosquitoes, you know, not the elephants. So, Absolutely. Great. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I want to move on to um, the H to H sales. Yes. And what? Why people are um, sell best when they're they're doing H to H sales. So I tell folks, like I mentioned earlier. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just asking if you could explain that for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I mentioned earlier that I specifically choose to work with people that are in oversaturated markets. Like if you think – I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you think about the number of realtors in this town, there are more than five or 6,000 realtors in our town. Same thing with commercial bankers. Same thing with loan officers. Same thing with financial advisors. I choose to work in those marketplaces, one, because I think it's easier to rise to the top, which is what I said earlier. But there's a second reason why, and that's right. because I believe that people who are in eight-to-eight sales are uniquely positioned and uniquely qualified to truly generate referrals like above and beyond most other industries that aren't in eight-to-eight sales. And what I mean by eight-to-eight sales is human-to-human. So a lot of people ask me, they're like, hey, does your referral stuff work for B2B the way it works for B2C? And I say, well, I got all my success on B2B. So, yes, totally works for B2B. And then, you know, right, I work with a lot of realtors and financial advisors and loan officers. I'm like, yep, so it totally works on B2C as well. I go, but that's irrelevant. B2B or B2C, when it comes to referrals, is irrelevant. What matters is, is that you're in eight to eight sales, which means I need to know you, like you, and trust you to decide to do business with you. Right? I need to know you, like you, and trust you to decide that, yes, you're the one I want guiding me through this process. Now, the reality of it is, if I want to buy a pair of shoes from Zappos, I don't need to talk to anybody at Zappos to go buy a pair of shoes. If I want to buy a book from Amazon, I don't need to talk to anybody to buy a book. To be honest, I really don't need to meet anybody when I'm thinking who's going to do the pest inspection or the pest service on my house. Right? There's just a lot of industries out there where I don't need to, to meet you to make the decision to do business with you. Right? I probably need to have a phone call with you. I probably need to get some pricing, and I just need to hit buy. Right? Those are what we refer to as like highly wired or just like easy when it, when it comes to making decisions, an easier way to make decisions. But when you're doing something more significant in your client's lives, getting them the loan that's going to help them buy their dream home, right? when you are doing that piece with someone's life, they probably want to know you, like you, and trust you. They almost always do. That doesn't mean they have to meet you, but they have to form a relationship with you on the phone, and they're not just going to do it cold. Now, there are plenty of people who will do it cold, and they will typically tell you, oh, that was a regret, right? So I have an attorney I work with, and she always says, never buy your car insurance over the Internet. Always buy it from a human. And she has very clear statistics on why she recommends that. It's the same thing here. So H-to-H sales mean that you are in a trust-based sales um, position. Your sales come through building relationships and building trust. And it, when you do that, you should be generating more than 50% or closer to where I am, 90 to 100% of your business by referrals. It doesn't happen overnight. It starts with having a really awesome, sticky client experience, but that's not enough either. You actually have to have a way to continue to generate referrals 
and they have to have a system or a plan that you follow that allows you to actually have that success. So, you know, when you, if you're in eight state sales, which all of your listeners are, they are perfectly positioned to really um, take advantage of the ability to generate referrals in their business. That's awesome, and I, you know, um, I guess I guess what my question is here, and where I'm, I'm actually not struggling, I'm I'm just trying to I'm hearing you and listening to, but when you, um, how what are your what's the suggestion when you're working with you know there's a lot of millennials that don't want to meet, they want to do everything over you know text and and, um, and webinars and things like that. So how do you build trust? Um, on the phone as opposed to the in-person because the in-person you're walking them through the roadmap and um, you know over the phone you're not able to do that unless of course you're doing a webinar or something um, is that enough or do you employ the same uh, tasks that you have in your uh, client experience system for the people on the phone as well so Here's the thing. I think that we make some assumptions when it comes to millennials, first and foremost. And I do think that millennials want things that can be done quicker and want things to be done faster. And they have determined that some things in their lives they can do with no human interaction, but they also recognize that some things have to be done with human interaction. And so you may capture their attention through a webinar, and you may bring them through your funnel in, you know, in more of a technology-driven way, but for them to make the decision to pick you, and they're not just picking you based on your rate. Here's the thing. If someone's picking you based on your rate, they're going for the lowest offer. And I understand how important that is when we're talking about a mortgage it's going to be attached to with that interest rate. But if that's all they're purchasing you on, right, and they're not willing to have a conversation with you, they may not be the best client for you. They may be, but I'm going to make the argument that maybe they're not. So even millennials, any generation, folks can understand that at some point we need to have a conversation with someone. Maybe it doesn't have to be face-to-face. It could be over the phone to talk through what this process looks like. And I would make the argument that any loan officer that can maybe bring in millennials through their funnel, if that's the way they do it, not necessarily through a referral, but through their funnel, and just have a text conversation and do a webinar you're eventually going to take them to a place where, okay, now we need to be on the phone. You need to be able to ask me questions. We need to be able to talk through these things. And you'll want to do this and give them reasons why. Knowing me will help this process go faster or whatever that language is you use is bringing people to actually get to a place where they do know you. You're, you're right. A baby boomer, the very first time they make a decision that they want to work with you, they want to talk to you or meet you. A millennial can go through a series of technology-based interactions and then make that decision, but they still have to have a relationship with you based on the work you're doing. Not if you're selling shoes right, or books on Amazon, but that looks a little different with getting a loan. And maybe it doesn't look that different with smaller loans, but it does definitely with jumbo loans or bigger loans. So, I mean, I think you kind of have to think through the marketplace that you're in and devise a strategy that works from that. But that doesn't mean actually, that people don't want to build this relationship. Yeah, right. That, well, and it's actually the opposite. The smaller loans are usually the more difficult deals. <laughs> yes, they're always, right? What is that? I know. They're always more difficult. Yeah, yeah, they are. So, um, yeah, so thank you. And, you know, that's something that I use quite frequently. And actually you were mentioning, you know, whatever, however you say it. And uh, so what I say generally is, you know, I really would like to meet you because I think it's important for us to, be, you know, look each other in the eye. Um, not only do you need to trust me, but I also need to trust you. And um, that really does turn the tables because they're going, wait a minute, why do I need, why do you need to trust me? 
but really I need to make sure that they're a client that, that I feel is going to work well with my system that isn't uh, going to create some fraudulent activities um, because it's my livelihood. You know, so I really feel like I need to trust that they uh, fully understand the process so that we can get through the process as smoothly as possible for both of us. You know? Absolutely. And, and I would it, it is, and I think you're right. And I think that when you're able to say it like that, the person who doesn't want to meet with you isn't your ideal client anyway. Now, if you have no other ideal clients or no other clients in the pipeline, you may be desperate to do business with them, and then you'll regret it later because they'll be a difficult client. But, you know, at the end of the day, I also think that people need to remember just because millennials and the generation coming behind them, Generation Z, are younger and more technology-driven, sometimes they just need to have it explained to them as to why it's important we're going to meet because they are just as motivated by face-to-face interactions and relationships. They are just happy to maintain them in a more technology-driven way. They're happy to start them and maintain them technology-based, but that doesn't mean they're, they overlook or they just don't think the human relationship is important. When you look at the research out on millennials and Gen Z, they believe that face-to-face is as important for certain types of conversations. So your job as a loan officer is to make them boss over your, on your review, you want that face-to-face, right? Same thing right. with, same thing with as a loan officer. You need to explain to them why this is a face-to-face conversation because they probably do think they can do it technology-based, and you need to tell them why they can't because they do crave yeah. the face-to-face interactions. They just don't want it all the time. Yeah, I, I think that's so critical. I think if there's anything that I've just learned, especially with that, is just helping them understand why. They're huge on education. So, you know, if we explain to them why, the why behind it, and not just that we have to do it, I think that's going to be, you know, a game changer for at least that, you know, particular uh, demographic. And we know that they're all about community and they want to feel like they're involved. And, and, you know, all of that is really super important. And I think that just brings this, you know, brings this home. So now, Stacey, as we kind of wrap up here, I know that um, you have been so gracious in being able to, uh, offer my listeners something very special. And so um, I know that we're going to be able to send them to the website, which you'll have on, on the notes here. You'll be able to see the website for those that are listening. But can you tell us a little bit about what it is you're um, sending us to? Absolutely. So um, I have created a um, just a free guide for your listeners. It's called The Seven Deadly Sins of Generating Referrals. And they can go to um, this very special page set up just for your listeners to grab that for free, which is growthbyreferrals.com forward slash mortgage mastery. So, of course, I know you'll put that in the show notes, but it's growthbyreferrals, and that's referrals with an S, dot com forward slash mortgage mastery. And they'll be able to go to that page. They'll know they're in the right place because they'll have your logo from the show, from your podcast on that page, and it'll just show them quickly how they can just download the seven deadly sins of generating referrals. And one of those sins is something we talked about in great deal on your show, which is your client experience is choppy. And so it'll kind of give them some ideas of understanding why that is so detrimental to generating referrals and what to do about it. So as we thank you for doing that for us, we really, really appreciate it. And um, hopefully there will be a lot of people heading there that way. Um, I know I will be. So I look forward to doing that myself. So one of the things that I like to ask people is what kinds of books you're reading right now. So could you share with us a book that you're reading right now or listening to? Sometimes people listen these days. (laughs) 
I'm actually I'm old fashioned, right? So I like to read my books. <laughs> I like to hold them in my hand and take notes I in like them. To write in them. Yes, absolutely. So I am reading the book. It's called Ask, and it is by Ryan, and I'm going to butcher his last name. I think it's like Leviske or something, but it's, um, it's the, the name of the book is called Ask. So you're reading it as a means to find out uh, what he's suggesting about asking for referrals. Well, it's, the fascinating thing is that he, his book is actually about teaching you. Um, oh, you know, his last name is Brown Levesque. I knew I had it somewhere in the book. So it's Ryan Levesque is the author of the book, Ask. This book is actually, um, it's a, a calendar intuitive formula to discover what your customers want to buy. Um, so, and understanding like, if you're, it's a lot for me when I do my, my business online and my, with my online course, Growth by Referrals, is making sure that I am giving my online students, because I never get to meet them face-to-face, what they want. And his book actually shows you um, how to use surveys and other methods to find out exactly what their needs are so that you're providing products that actually work for them. So not about asking for referrals, of course not, but definitely about um, just figuring out what your clients need and then being able to provide the right solutions for them. That's awesome. Instead of bringing the big toolbox of stuff and dumping it out on, you know, um, in, in there and not and then going, well, what tool do we need, you know, instead of pulling just the tool out. So right. that's great. That's great. Well, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful sharing time with you today. I appreciate your help and, um, and guidance in this because this is a huge issue in my industry. Um, I cannot tell you, and I'm sure it's in every industry, but it's a huge issue in our industry, um, not asking for referrals for fear of fee- seeming to be pushy and seeming to be um, invasive to people, but that uh, rather than worrying about asking, let's show and demonstrate so that they're compelled to give. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you again for being on. Of course. Thank you. And um, again, just go to uh, iTunes if you could, everybody, and write uh, write us a review. Let us know what you thought about the the show today. And I look forward to talking to you on the next Mortgage Lending Mastery podcast. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.